Well, what do you do? I believe in things. Oh, you're a believer. You're a dreamer. What do you dream about? I don't know. I can't ever remember. Well, how are you supposed to live out your dreams if you don't remember? Don't remember. Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Podstalgic. I am your host, Peter. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. For this episode, I am doing a special review slash interview with director, writer Jonah Feingold, who also wrote and directed Bangarang, which is an origin story of the character of Rufio from the 1991 movie Hook. In my interview with Jonah, he talks about the uh, behind the scenes, about the casting, about the writing, and drops a lot of nuggets on uh, some of the Easter eggs that were also uh, in the movie. But if you have not seen this short yet, do yourself a favor, stop this episode, go watch it. It's about 17 minutes, and then come back and uh, listen to this episode. If you have seen this short, hopefully after listening to my interview with Jonah, it inspires you to go back and rewatch it as I did. Uh, just hearing all the little things uh, he had to say about, uh, you know, just the production of the film itself and just the, again, the Easter eggs that he shared, uh, things that I completely missed, you know, the, the first, I don't know, six times I've already seen it. There always seems to be something that I've missed uh, with every viewing, so it's always kind of rewarding to go back and finding something new. Um, but a little bit about the film. It focuses on a 13-year-old uh, Rufio before he gets to Neverland. He is on the playground playing with his friends. We see him get bullied and ultimately standing up to the bully. Uh, he has a, a bit of I don't know if you want to call it a relationship with the principal, but he does have a moment with the principal. And obviously, um, it, it, it seems as though Ruf, Rufus has been in the office more than a number of times. But um, Jonah does uh, an amazing job at capturing the essence of the movie Hook. Uh, you really get the feel that it's in the um, in the same universe, despite being a little bit more uh, in the modern time. And the actors are well casted; uh, they do an amazing job. Uh, looks like they're all having a lot of fun uh, as well. And this is my interview. This is Jonah. Hey, Jonah. It's Peter. How are you, man? I'm glad we connected. Sorry that took so long. Yeah, no, it's quite all right. I mean, I, I completely understand, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, you got a ticking clock, you got to get things done and out at a certain time. So I, I completely understand. And um, that's too bad that you guys kind of ran into like some last minute, uh, uh, what, what happened exactly? Something about credits or something? Just, uh, you know, with, with, with all these things, and I think honestly with a lot of movies, you're making small tweaks up until the end. And our case there was a we screened at USC and there was a credit that was a look at credit so there was two of the same credit and that wasn't supposed to be there so we had to remove it but simply to remove the credit required going back into the file and re-exporting 
and then re-uploading, you know, the whole process. Right, right. How, how did the screening go at USC? It was awesome, dude. It was, it was, uh, yeah, very much dream come true is we had 200 people there, which is cool. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, and it was the backers and the kids and their families and it was great. It was really, it was really, it was really surreal. And it was cool to see the movie on the big screen too, because, you know, people watch on their phones and their computer and we shot it in such a way that it really is best seen on a bigger screen. So that was fun. Yeah. You know, I should hook up my computer to the, um, uh, to to my TV to to watch it that way because you did recommend that I watch it on my uh, laptop or at least my computer, not my phone. So, um, yeah, it, it looked uh, yeah the movie looks great. Uh, I saw that Dante was at the screening as well. Uh, I saw your guys' uh, Instagram. Uh, was it an Instagram live or something? I think uh, I think it was on your account. Uh, I so I did a Instagram video just kind of like with the crowd, and then Dante actually did a Facebook live. Okay, I, I think it was yours. I think you guys said that it it, it um it was like a like a fail. Uh, yeah. yeah, there was like nobody that showed. <laughs> you guys kind of turned exactly. around. Exactly. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, like, no one's here, and then we turned around and everyone's there. Yeah, that's amazing. That's Good turnout. Um. Okay. Well, yeah. let, let's kind of kind of jump into this. Um. Uh, I want to start asking if you can kind of tell the story of, about how this all really started. Uh, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were on a date, and Dante just happened to be walking by. <laughs> yeah, that is correct. I was on a date uh, at a bar in Los Angeles called Delilah, uh, which is in kind of West Hollywood. And I was on a date with a girl, and I had seen Dante walking by. I never met Dante before. I knew he was kind of just you know in LA, cool, cool dude. So hanged out at trendy spots, and I, uh, I. <laughs> was on this date and I'm like, oh my god, there's Dante Basco, and she was like, uh, she knew how much I loved the film Hook, and I was like, you know, I was like, oh my god, it's Rufio, and I was freaking out, and she was like, don't, you know, don't do anything stupid, like, don't go say <laughs> anything, and I'm like, sorry, I, I can't do that, I can't promise you that, and on my phone, the background of my phone is the one sheet poster from Hook. And I just took out my phone as he was kind of walking right by me, almost like fate, bringing us together. And uh, I took out my phone and took it out and showed it to him as he was walking by. And he was just paused and goes, damn, like, that's cool. And I was like, dude, I got to buy you a drink. Uh, like, you know, your movie hook really changed my life. And I, I mean that. And it's the reason I became a filmmaker. And the reason at the time I wanted to stop and take him, buy him a tequila shop was that I have a separate project that I've talked a little bit about in some of these, you know, interviews called Wendy, which is this romantic comedy about Wendy from Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And, and we have an actress named Brittany Snow from the Pitch Perfect movies in that film. And it's legit. You know, it's a great script and it's a, it's a movie that we're very close to making. And I stopped him to see if he would read the script and have a cameo role in the film. And so he, of course, read the script the next day. He was like, this is great, man. Like, I would love to do whatever I can. Oh, that's great. Uh, and then we were just kind of talking, like shooting the shit. And I was like, so what else are you doing? And we just became friends. And we both have a entrepreneurial side to us. We both like making things. We're both kind of just kids at heart. And I pitched him this idea to do a Rufio movie on Kickstarter. Uh, and lo and behold, it turns out to be, you know, successful. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I backed that project myself, so I'm glad that you guys were oh, able yeah. to get um, 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, Hook, uh, Hook is definitely one of my favorite movies growing up. Um, I'm Asian American myself. So seeing somebody, uh, like Dante on screen was, um, was amazing to me, you know? And so, like, I, I kind of, like, followed, uh, you know, his career, uh, shortly after Hook. Um, I even reviewed the movie The Debut, which is a F- Filipino movie. Uh, and I even sure. interviewed the, uh, the director of that movie as well. And, um, oh, wow. you know, so I've, I've seen a lot of his stuff. So isn't it cool seeing him like kind of, you know, on screen acting. And I just thought that was such a surreal moment, especially when you see it on a big screen, you see Dante there. It's just, it's super cool. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, Dante is amazing. And that was a very interesting, just that day that we shot together. He, cause he's in that one scene. And just that day alone, I mean, I had to kind of take myself to the side and be like, okay, dude, like, you're directing, you know, Rufio, the guy that you grew up, you know, loving. Like, this is insane. Yeah. Uh, so that was, I'm so glad that he was willing to do that. Yeah, it, it is awesome. Um, speaking of Hook, now, you guys also were able to get uh, J.V. Hart to kind of help out in some role? So Dante keeps in touch with J.V., um, who wrote the film Hook, and his son, Jake Hart who's a producer on the project as well. And we had breakfast together and he was just very receptive of the project. Thought it was super cool. Liked how viral it had gone. Um, he's a very busy guy and we, you know, we, we were lucky to kind of get some time with him. Um, I know he is still very involved in the studio system and has even been, you know, looking into how we can possibly make this into a real feature film. So he didn't, you know, it was very daunting, obviously, and scary to be like, okay, this is the script, like, this is what we're going to do with your character that we created, but he was incredibly collaborative and didn't really step on our toes in any way, which usually, you know, which is a rare thing. So he kind of let us do our do our work and uh, I think was just super excited, um, which was really surreal as well. Yeah, that's, that, that's amazing. But he still, you know, had that connection. Now I, I do want to talk a, a little bit about the, the the script. So you did co uh, co write it with um, Jeremy Dillon. Yeah, Jeremy Dillon, also known as Jeremy Middleman. Uh, he's my writing partner, and uh, he is currently uh, actually on set in Atlanta right now, working on a project called Rampage, which is this new Dwayne the Rock Johnson movie. Oh wow. Um, yeah, and he, him and I wrote it together. I had kind of met with Dante, had the idea to do Bangarang, and I write everything with Jeremy, and I said, listen, man, like, I don't know when the last time you saw Hook was, but, you know, we got to write this thing. And he had, luckily, he is a big fan of the film Hook as well, and so we kind of came together and cracked the story and went to work and wrote the script. That's awesome. Um, now, in the story, obviously, is the origin of uh, we find out that Rufio's name is actually Rufus. Uh, his mother actually has quite a big part in here too. A very uh, touching scene. Um, we find out that she's being evicted and has to go back to the Philippines. Now, what was the um, the idea behind that uh, to introduce uh, his mother and that relationship in the story? So the idea stemmed from a line in the film Hook that is when Rufio is about to spoiler alert when Rufio is <laughs> about to get stabbed and die. He goes to Robin Williams, he says, I wish I had a dad like you. You know, he's like, you know what I wish? I wish I had a father like you. And I was like, okay, let's reverse engineer that, you know, a bit and see who this character is. And that was kind of a absentee father figure. And I'm a big Disney fanatic. I love Disney movies. And Disney always deals really well with 
you know, single parent, loss of father, relationship with mother stuff. And I, I think Hook is a movie that's very much about uh, a relationship with your parents and as, you know, Peter Pan goes and saves his kids. And I wanted to tap into that. And, you know, I have a very close relationship with both my parents. And so that was an interesting departure in terms of, uh, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be very on very good terms with my dad and mom. And so it was, it was trying to tap into the character of Rufus and try to get him to a place um, that he needed to be in Hook. And I think what's really interesting about the prequel and then Hook is that we know how Rufio ends. We know that he ends as this sweet kid who sacrifices himself for Peter Pan in a way. And we know that in the middle of the movie Hook, he's kind of a bully who doesn't believe in this adult and that he wants to kill pirates. And I thought it'd be really interesting to start his story off with him not being a bully or being this sweet kid, but just kind of being a kid and have this kind of reverse arc. And so having him have this relationship with his mother and also setting it in modern times, you know, making it culturally relevant, especially today. And, you know, I like to call this Trump era arc in that it's kind of a big fuck you <laughs> to Donald Trump and all that he stands for. And, um, I wanted to just have a why now. I wanted to be, feel relevant and feel like this is something that, you know, maybe could happen. These are the stakes in the world that he exists in. Uh, and I just think, you know, that it's a, it's a family film. Everyone has someone in their life who is a mother figure in some capacity, whether it's blood or not. And it brings relatability and it, um, you know, hopefully tugs on those heart cords a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was very effective. Um, I was very surprised to see, you know, the the mother being introduced. And um, I really do love the scenes uh, with both of them together. Um, speaking of the casting, um, I think it's great that we have uh, people of color in uh, the major roles. And the uh, antagonist happens to be a white kid. <laughs> yeah. So all, all, you know, all, all pretty intentional. I mean, like, the that was in the original pitch and even in the Kickstarter and um, there's a clear representation issue in Hollywood and I, obviously I think it's getting better and we wanted to be in front of and behind the camera uh, really keep it you know diverse and not just to say that in a cliche way but we really want a diverse group of creative like-minded people putting this project together and so. Um, that was our intention, and uh, I think it's kind of a representative of you know being a lost being a lost kid in Neverland, and even those '90s films, all the you know all the kids in that movie. It's a very diverse film, and so we wanted to make sure that we stuck stuck in that world. Yeah, yeah, and you captured that perfectly. Um, what was the the casting process like? Uh, I, I noticed that um, Shaden is that how you say his name? Shaden, correct, yeah. Yeah, Shaden Gabriel, who plays young Rufus. I, I, I noticed that he was actually um, also a contestant on So You Think You Can Dance. So what was the, the casting and auditioning process like? Um, like how many how many kids did you guys uh, go through before you selected these, uh, these actors? So really fun story. Uh, we held a big casting call to find these kids, and that's what you got to do when you cast child actors because – you know, there's famous child actors, but I, I don't believe that children are really good. Child child actors aren't actors. They're they're just they're existing. They're being themselves, 
there's no preconceptions on anything in life. And, you know, it's, it's not like if you get discovered as a child actor, it's because you literally got discovered. It's not because you were an amazing actor. It's because you had a great opportunity and you killed it and now you're putting other things. So with this particular project, we held a big casting call, you know, to find those special kids. I think maybe, I want to say 200 kids, maybe that might be a bit high, but it's maybe 100 people. Um, now, Shaden, this is a fun story. Shaden was the first person to audition for Rufio, and he was killed it. And we kind of all looked at each other afterwards and we're like, huh, like, we think that's a kid, but we, we can't make that decision after the first person. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so we, we auditioned, we're all, but we all looked at each other like, we think that was, that was it. And then we were like, okay, you know what? Let's, let's continue. And so we continued and then we called Shaden back. He couldn't actually make the callbacks to have what we call a chemistry read, which is where all the, you know, picked talent reads together in a room to see if they have chemistry on camera. And he wasn't even there for it. Um, but we cast him because we just knew, we knew he was the one and I'm really happy with having picked him. I think he's incredibly talented. He's, He's a dancer, um, you know, that's his, like, number one thing. And what was amazing about that, and I didn't really know he was a dancer until we were doing a blocking scene. So it was the first day of the shoot, and we were doing the principal office scene, which, uh, you know, one of my favorite scenes is that one. And if you notice, there is a little bit of kind of complicated blocking for a kid. Uh, you know, he gets up from the chair, goes over to the other chair, comes back, has to look away, does a spin move, all these different things. And we came up with a lot of that on the third and fourth take. And he would just nail it right away. And I was like, how is he nailing this blocking faster than any adult actor ever, I've ever known? And then one of the producers came up to me and said, because he's a dancer. And like, he, this is what he does professionally. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Okay, well, I'm just going to start working with dancers then because they get blocking really well. <laughs> So that, that was kind of a fun, that was a fun discovery and uh, another kind of hidden, uh, hidden talent that he presented to us. So in that scene that you speak of, he does do like a little spin move and stuff. Was that incorporated in after the fact, you learning that he is a professional dancer? It was. And one of my goals with the project was to have a musical feel to it. Hook was originally supposed to be a musical written by Michael Jackson. And there were songs and big dance numbers, and it eventually wasn't. But it still kind of feels like a musical. And I love musicals, and I wanted to have a sort of Disney musical feel, whether that comes across or not in the final cut. I can't quite tell anymore. But uh, he, it just seemed like a fun thing for him to do. He's kind of taunting Dante, Dante's character with this spin move, you know, being kind of like, I'm better than you, and, you know, who are you to tell me anything? And it just kind of felt right. And... uh we discovered that in the room. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way it worked out. Yeah, I, I like it too. I, I do like that Rufus has a little touch of that uh, hip-hop culture in him because, uh, you know, we got like a little yep. scene of all the kids. Uh, well, at least um, Jelani, uh, is that how you say the, the character's name? Jelani, yeah, 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 Jelani and Rufus—they're kind of freestyling, and Jelani is actually the one that that makes up the word bangerang just to rhyme uh, in, in a line there. Yeah, so there was a line that was cut from the film. Um, that, uh, actually the line continues on that he goes, so he's like, stir the world up, bang the rain. And then she's like, you can't make up words. And he's like, I didn't, I hear my mom say it all the time. It's like chaos or uproar. So there is a meaning to the word bang the rain. And we 
cut that line because of a uh, background extra sticking his. It was just a, there was a weird thing. Some kid was like doing some weird stuff back there, and we didn't want that in the movie. <laughs> um, so that was originally there, but we thought it still worked in terms of having that line at least be there subtly. It's something that will eventually drip into the subconscious of of uh, Rufus. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it, it still worked. Um, I, I didn't even feel that there, there was like a line missing. So yeah, I, th- I think the editing was great there. Um, that playground, so is, is that part of the school uh, or in the story? Uh, because we do see Rufus um, having a sit down with uh, the principal played by Dante. Um, is the playground part of the school or is the playground like something else like where they like kind of hang out after school? So the playground is where they hang out after school. It's not connected to the school. The idea, you know, it's interesting, and this is just, you know, when you have time and money, which are the two things that are every director's thing of existence, um, you are able to kind of explore with, in our particular case, in the script, there was an opening pirate fight sequence on a playground. Mm -hmm. I did not know that this pirate-themed playground existed. And our location manager found it for us. And I immediately said, all right, you know, let's play this into the story. Let's make this kind of place that he goes to play make-believe. And uh, let's kind of juice that in there. But this is something we discovered three days before our shoot. Oh, wow. So we kind of rewrote that into the script. Yeah, I mean, but it was really great. We found the location. I was like, this is amazing. This, is, this makes complete sense to me. It's a kid who kind of has this Peter Pan syndrome who's a bit older but still plays in the playground, uses his imagination, and it's pirate theme. Perfect. So I love that location. Uh, it's not part of the school. It's a place where he goes to just kind of play make-believe. And, um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a new discovery. It was very late in the game that we discovered that location, which is just the, the crazy thing about movie making is that, you know, you start off with an idea, you write the script, and then everything, can, everything changes the second it becomes a production. And the second you start finding your locations and your casting and all these things will inform the script and the story. So it's just to say that really I'm a big advocate that scripts are blueprints and it just kind of reinforces that idea. Um, now the, the principal's office, uh, the, the opening shot is the principal placing an anchor on, on the desk. What was that about? So... Uh, the anchor is a paperweight of sorts that he uses, and <laughs> we entered this conversation a bit late. That, yeah, that office is li- li- like littered with Easter eggs and, oh, yeah. and references to Hook. Um, and the idea with that scene is that Dante called him to the principal's office because of this fight that he, you know, he got into, and um, the anchor is kind of just a way to him to silence to silence Rufus from the previous conversation. We entered the scene pretty late. It's, to, it's safe to assume they were in there for a minute or two before we got there. And uh, it's just kind of his way of commanding the room. And if you listen carefully to that moment, the sound designer and I actually added a bit of reverb and a bit of weight to that to that uh, to that slam. So it actually sounds like an anchor hitting a bottom of the ocean and not just a paperweight hitting a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've noticed uh, some of those Easter eggs, like the couple of ships on different tables in the room, a uh, little treasure chest right there on the desk as well. Um. I wanted to ask about the the mother uh, being ev- ev- evicted. Um, what was the yes. thought process uh, about that, about her having to leave and ultimately having to give him up to 
the uh, foster care, which uh, again another Easter egg. We see that this um, you know, is she like a counselor, like a family counselor, or something? Yeah, uh, she is. Yeah, yeah. And she she hands her the card for uh, Peter Banning. Right. Um, so the story, the, the there was a, it was a fine line of of how deep into this into this did we want to go story wise and. How do we make it seem important, but also, you know, not get too far into it so that it completely takes up the entire story? And the idea is that she is being deported, and Rufus is an American citizen um, and is kind of, you know, in school and has this life, and he, she has made the decision, you know, that he will stay for the temporary time that she needs to kind of you know, whatever, however, you know, the time until she can come back. Um, and for whatever reason, we also, you know, we don't get too into it, but backstory-wise, child services is, you know, there is some sort of dispute between that and child services, although obviously he has a perfectly fine, you know, modest upbringing with a good relationship with his mom. So the whole thing's kind of fucked, um, you know, to say the least, which we did a lot of research on this and, like, you know, this has happened and it's happening, so we, we wanted it to feel real and uh, we didn't want it to come from an unsincere place. And then the counselor uh, hands her the card for a, a young lawyer who could help out. And so that, of course, is Peter Banning. And at the time, he's younger. He's not really the 40-year-old lawyer that we see him in in Hook. He is maybe in his 30s, and he actually is kind of a kind of foster care lawyer who's dealing with these kind of issues because he's still kind of got that bit of Neverland with him. And, uh, you know, obviously 10 years down the line, he becomes a bit more corporate and a bit more greedy like a pirate. Uh, and if you look at that card, you'll actually notice Pan's sword uh, kind of in between those plants is his logo, which is a callback to the end credit sequence where we eventually reveal Pan's sword right. is in Neverland. And... um so the the bedroom is that a set uh, Rufus's bedroom? Yeah. So we spent the two weeks before production scouting locations, and then our product and then our cinematographer had the crazy idea of building sets, to which the producer said no way. And then we were like, okay, let's actually crunch these numbers. Will it cost us more to build a set, or will it cost us more to shoot on location? And it ended up being more effective to build the set. So we built sets. The whole thing was built from scratch, which is really cool. Um, although I probably won't do it again for a long time. <laughs> uh, it was a soundstage sound at Canoga Park, which is kind of cool because Hook was shot on sound stages. So, you know, we are kind of, that's why it looks and feels the way it does. Um, it was built, obviously, with the care of our production designer, Natalia Brito. And the bedroom, the kitchen, and the principal's office were all sets all next to each other. Oh, wow. And we shot it. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, um, the, kitchen and the, um, the kitchen and the office, actually, they, they look like actual uh, kitchens and, and offices. The, the bedroom, I was able to kind of tell from, like, the um, wallpaper. But, but other than that, I, yeah, I thought the bedroom was the only uh, room that you guys built. Well, I'm glad it worked. <laughs> I'm glad that <laughs> yeah. you couldn't tell me that was the yeah. yeah, the bedrooms for sure got a build vibe. I, I think, uh, you know, it really, it's my first time being a, on a production that we had to build sets for. I've never done that before. And in our team, you know, we're, we raised a good amount of money, but uh, this budget you run through when you have SAG and kids and gear and you're paying your crew. And so 
with the set especially, we learned it was everyone. It was a learning experience for everybody. You know, for the production designer, for myself, for our cinematographer, and so um, we were doing some pretty cool camera stuff in that bedroom, and we needed a lot of space. Yeah. So you'll kind of notice that his room's a bit big, but it's only if you look at it. You know, it's only if you look for it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a set. It, it was cool because we had complete control. Yeah, you know? I, the, the wallpaper only stuck out because, um, the, when, when you sent me the, the copy before the final, yeah, I, I yeah. actually watched it like three times before I went to bed. <laughs> Just because I, I was oh, wow. trying to, trying to find Easter eggs myself. I, I was pretty, pretty excited about, um, just getting like a, like an okay. early viewing of it. But, um, I, I think the bedroom looks amazing. Um, it 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 really captures that uh, the essence of, of of Hook and what we kind of saw like the darlings you know nursery you know looking like, um, which yes. which uh, I did I did like the the little crocodile uh, plush uh, doll there that was uh, that was amazing. <laughs> now I I am a, li- a little uh, confused about the shadow. Is that supposed to be Peter's shadow that we see or Rufio's shadow? That is supposed to be Rufio's shadow. That's a good question. That is uh, for sure Rufio's shadow. Yeah, because yeah. he, um, he was holding the sword. That's the only reason I was wondering. Um, other than that, I assumed that at night when Rufio would go to sleep and in his dreams, his shadow would wander off. Exactly right. Uh, the idea there, and obviously it only happens once before he eventually ventures to Neverland, but the idea there is that he, uh, you know, he has this inner hero inside of him. He has this inner destiny that's inside of him, and it comes out in the form of a shadow in that particular case, and it's supposed to be Rufio. If you look again, uh, you might just maybe notice the Trihawk a bit better, right. um, knowing now that it's Rufio. And um, yeah, it's definitely supposed to be Rufio with the with the uh, animated shadow. Yeah, and and I like the the later scene before he goes to confront the the the, the playground bully that uh, he kind of spray paints his hair, and so we get that that vintage Rufio look as well. Um, so great aesthetics there. Now, was there any talk about? Because um, I, I saw I saw some uh, storyboards where he's kind of like uh, hovering above his bed, um, so that that wasn't used or anything. But was there any kind of talks about how uh, what would actually make Rufio fly? You know, because like what the uh, the majority of us know and understand that it's uh, Tink's fairy dust and happy thoughts, right? So in this, uh, it's a little bit different uh, that makes Rufio fly. So. Yeah, so uh, that's correct. Uh, this is something that people I've noticed people have been uh, kind of noticing uh, is that he flies. Uh, it's a happy thought, and that, there is a scene. If you look at a scene where he looks out the window, he wakes up. There's a little glitter of gold in his eye, which is very subtle, but it's there. And what we are to assume is that when he does eventually fly, it's his happy thought, which is his mom, and. Uh, I guess, you know, one thing I, it's not a regret, but one thing I probably could have made clearer is that decision in that moment of him realizing that his mom is his happy thought. Uh, but I also, you know, I also think it plays, if you look at the end credit sequence as well, he lands and there's kind of pixie dust that lands by his feet, which is to, you know, kind of reinforce. Yeah, go check out that bit. It's definitely uh, there. We have some sort of, uh, like, kind of, we did some visual effects. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Now with this being a short, I'm sure you guys had all, all types of ideas and, um, I'm sure it was very challenging into deciding what would be in the film and stuff like that. 
Um, what were some things that uh, you guys really wanted in the film, but um, you know, were uh, that you guys maybe shot didn't make make it in, or some ideas you wanted to do, but to whatever constraints weren't able to do? So we um, we have a scene that we cut that's between him and his mom. Uh, that we I didn't cut it completely. I used half of it in a different scene, which is kind of cool. Um, we like intercut like it was shot for an earlier scene, but we interspliced it and used it later on in the movie, which was nice. Um, things I wish I could have done was just budgetary and time wise. I mean, we shot the movie in three days, and you can only use child actors for I believe six to eight hours a day, depending on if it's a weekend or a school day or summer hours. And we were not in summer hours, and. Uh, it was incredibly ambitious to set up. So basically, when we have these nice camera moves, the thing that you don't realize is that the camera takes 40 minutes to an hour to set up, leaving me about 10 to 15 minutes to have to do my three to four takes. And it's a very silly idea, but the you know if you have more money or a bigger crew, you have union guys who can turn this around in, in less than an hour, or you have uh, enough people in your crew to make it happen faster. So we were moving very quickly. My only thing, I, you know, there's obviously storyboard stuff that, you know, as you saw, the flying in the bedroom, even some cool shadow stuff. The flying in the bedroom, we couldn't afford the rig necessary and the visual effects bandwidth to remove those wires would have been ridiculous um, if we shot that. And it would have taken a lot of time. It would have taken a lot of time to shoot those scenes. And even the last scene, I mean, the last, the whole stuff outside we shot in one day. So, you know, the only thing I kind of wish looking back on is like I just kind of wish I had more time to either get different angles, although I do really enjoy the approach of these kind of runners that make you feel like you're really in the in the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that comes with the territory. We had a lot. We were very ambitious for three days, and that's kind of just uh, I, I like to move at a fast pace. So that was luckily that was that was OK. Yeah, I think the final um, product, you know, looks amazing. Uh, three days is is mind blowing. I I would assume that it took you guys a couple months. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the different filming and stuff like that. But obviously, n- you know, nobody really understands, uh, or a- at least outside the industry, we we don't understand like how you know the rules and regulation goes when it comes to using child actors. So uh, hats off to you, you know, for for only three days of shooting. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw somewhere, I, I don't know if it was on the Kickstarter page or something, but I was really trying to look for, um, all the Easter eggs. You even brought up some that I completely missed to include, uh, the, 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 the sword on Peter Banning's, um, business card. Uh, so I mentioned there was the uh-huh. crocodile, some of the things in the office. What were some, uh, some of the other things that, um, you know, m- maybe viewers would have missed, uh, on their first, you know, watch or two? I'm really glad you asked this. This is my favorite part as well of, the, of these of any kind of movie that has some sort of lore to it. Um, let's start from the beginning. The first thing that is the major Easter egg is when the he's having the fight scene on the bridge. He does a spin move uh, when she, he's fighting with Ella, and the spin move he does is the same exact blocking for when he does the spin move to the sword when he's fighting Captain Hook and he gets stabbed. So if you remember. Him and Hook are fighting. Hook knocks the sword out of his hand. He dodges, spins on the ground, and grabs the hook. And we did that same exact move, blocking-wise, in the movie, um, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, after, 
after that, if you look in the principal's office, you'll notice the um, kind of head head uh, headpiece, uh, the kind of the uh, Tiger Lily headpiece, what we're calling it. Uh, basically, it's it's from his times in Neverland, uh, and we have a particular shot where it's angled so that it's actually over his head, which is supposed to be reminiscent of the fact that he had his prior adventures, and that's even in our in our feature take. It's kind of even how he gains the name Rufio and uh, gains some of his you know artifacts, which the artifacts you actually can see his uh, shell necklace necklaces throughout the room. So if you freeze the frame in the wide. There is one on the bookshelf, one on the lamp in the background. There's the actual jewelry that he used in the movie as his necklaces are in there, which is fun. Um, uh, let's see. If you go into Rufus's room, you'll see Pinocchio, which is just kind of a Disney reference. And, you know, the film is heavily inspired by Disney. You'll see the crocodile. You'll see... Um, the, the solar system poster, and it actually says second star on the right on it, in the upper right-hand corner. There is a dinosaur, which we tossed in there because of the Jurassic Park Amblin thing, you oh, know, okay. just kind of keeping it. <laughs> I saw that. I wasn't sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's there on purpose. Um, and let's see, they go from the bedroom, and then they're in the kitchen. You kind of have the line where they say grace, which is a reference to that you know, food fight scene, um, where they all say grace, you know, before they eat, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of implement that ritual. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, which ones I'm forgetting now. On the, on the playground, um, I think Rufio says bad form. He says bad form. And then, yep. and then, uh, Sid says, yo, skunkhead is his first line. That's right. Which is a, which is of course a reference to the, the line that he has in the movie. One of the more like hidden Easter eggs is the score is in many moments kind of derivative of the hook score in both key and notes used. We uh, really kind of rearranged some of the notes that John Williams had created. Obviously he is John Williams and that score is incredible. So we kind of, you know, we did our own thing with it, but uh, that's all derivative of, of the hook score. And, you know, even even the blocking and a lot of the uh, shots are supposed are drawn from sort of a, a Spielbergian place. And uh, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. Second star to the right, obviously at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when he gets to Neverland at the very end, you see a sword, which is the real sword from the movie. And you see a pirate ship in the distance, which is to infer that, you know, danger looms ahead with Captain Hook. Oh, there was a there was a crow too. Uh, at one point, the screen goes black, and you hear a crow. Here's a crow. That's correct. Oh, here's a good one. So, in that in that dream montage he has before that black, if you listen carefully, you can actually hear Hook say Rufio, and it's the exact MP3 file from the film Hook, which is fun. Oh wow! I don't know if you caught that one. No, yeah. I did not. Um, I I was watching on the laptop, so I, I might have had it a little low. Um, yeah. The the montage scene, the, I, I did have to uh, pause at, at a few instances just to kind of see, uh, but it, it looks like at, at one point there was um, a like a journal, at least I thought it was a journal, but it looks like maybe some scribbles that uh, Ruf, Ruf, Rufio possibly like uh, writing down rhymes or poems or something. 
Yeah, in an earlier in an earlier iteration of the project, he kind of was this slam poet character who was I mean, it was pushed more. He kind of had these rhymes and he would write down his stories and the idea there is to set up the fact that he's able to participate in that food fight battle with, you know, Peter Pan eventually in the movie Hook and he's kind of this like, you know, he's this wordsmith who's kind of, you know, quick with his tongue. And he had all these rhymes written down. Eventually you see him rapping in that scene where he's kind of dreaming, where he's like, destiny, destiny, all I really need is a destiny. So that whole bit uh, is, you know, is, comes from his little rhyme journal, which we, we nixed some of that stuff just because it, it just wasn't necessary. But that's correct. And you'll also notice he's eating cereal from a bowl of gold. <laughs> so... Uh, that was kind of like Neverland is kind of flourishing into his life and, you know, becoming a part of, kind of, kind of becoming a part of his life in his dreams, you know, interrupting the ordinary. Uh, that was a bigger scene that took maybe two hours to light. And it was a cool shot of him kind of eating his cereal that we ended up just using a frame up. So kind of classic filmmaking thing there, you know, we spent all this time on this, lighting setup and we use two seconds of it but that's you know again it's kind of part of the process right yeah it, it happens unfortunately um I, I did catch a uh, a glimpse of their address and uh, i'm sure it's fictional but uh, cleveland boulevard what, what is there any kind of story behind their address on the eviction sign yes yeah it was the location of the one of the sound stages they shot the movie on Oh, okay. So we just took that, yeah, we took that and uh, and put that into that thing, and I named the mom Jasmine, which is just because of the whole, I don't know, <laughs> I was like watching Aladdin, and I was like, I like that name. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, my favorite but, Disney movie, so perfect. Oh, uh, so good, yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are, that's where that came from. Uh, as as we uh, wrap up here, um, what's next with uh, Bangarang just now being released? Um, I I saw that you already retweeted an article from Entertainment Weekly, so that's exciting that it, it's already kind of um, it's getting out there for sure in just like less than well, I guess a little over twelve hours at this point. Yeah, it's really awesome that they were that they retweeted or that they posted about us. Um, the I don't know what's next. You know, I I think there's a it's so daunting. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways it can go. I, I just, I kind of hope people just enjoy it. Uh, it kind of transports them to that nineties Amblin nostalgia era. And I, uh, you know, I've, we all, everyone in front of and behind the camera is out here in LA doing what they love most, which is, you know, making, making things and creating art. And I hope it's able to kind of leverage, this, they can use this as leverage to help all their projects succeed. I know we, you know, I'm, I have that Wendy project that I would love to see get made, and I also would love to just kind of go out there and make something super original, um, and hopefully this kind of gives, gives, perhaps gives me an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Uh, and where can uh, listeners, uh, you know, find you, um, you know, maybe some of your other work, uh, you know, if you welcome the interaction like on social media? Oh, that'd be awesome. I would love that. I think the best thing to do, if you want to check out more of my work, you can go to jonahfeingold.com. Um, and hook, this project is certainly my most, you know, fantasy action kind of piece. Uh, there's a, a good, interesting mix of work on my website. Um, if you want to talk, let's go on Twitter. It's just Jonah Found Gold. F-O-U-N-D-G-O-L-D. Jonah, J-O-N-A-H. Jonah Found Gold. 
and um, Instagram is Jonah Feingold. And feel free to email me. Email address is jonah.feingold at gmail.com. Whatever it is, anyone, if you want to talk about filmmaking, if you want to talk about Bainerain or anything, I'm around and uh, would love to hear your thoughts on the project and what you got, what you and your listeners are up to. Yeah, and uh, for easier access uh, to the listeners, I will include you know the link to the website, the email, the Twitter, and all that good stuff in the show notes. Uh, so definitely check that out uh, if you guys want to get a hold of Jonah. Um, I do love uh, this short. Uh, this I love the theme about being a believer and uh, being a dreamer. And uh, this right here, this this is your dream, and it came true. So um, I, I'm happy for you uh, that this uh, was successful and that enough people. Uh, was in love with this idea so much that they gave you the the means to make it happen. Well, that really means a lot, and thank you. I'm I'm, I'm glad a that theme came across, and I, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. And you know, it's not uh, it's not easy convincing people, even people who want to make something happen. It's not easy to convince yourself, and you know, it's it's um, people barriers will get in the way every single day, and. I think if anything, it's a testament to, you know, just push them down and keep going. And like, you know, I hope that people watch it and say, great, I want to go make my short film about, uh, you know, who knows, you know, Aladdin, or I want to go make my thing about, I want to go write that book, that fan fiction. I want to go do something because it literally did just start with a idea and a random bump in in LA. And now we have a 17 minute short film that has, you know, impacted the lives of hopefully some people, and at least very much so the actors and the kids in the movie. So I hope that, uh, you know, if anything from this conversation, some, some of your listeners and people are inspired to go out there and make something cool. And that concludes my interview with Mr. Jonah Feingold. Uh, I want to thank him again for giving me the opportunity to speak to him about this amazing project. Um, and just a shout out to everyone that backed it too, to um, to make his dreams come true. Uh, so just an amazing story of how he met Dante um, and just uh, an amazing conversation that I had with him. Uh, thanks again for, for that. So hopefully you guys all uh, enjoyed that conversation. And again, check the show notes if you want to get a hold of Jonah to uh, further the conversation on social media. So if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter and or Instagram at Podstalgic. You can also visit CoreToParts.com where you can find uh, content for this show and my other show, We Got Five. The Corten Parts Podcast Network does have a group page on Facebook. If you just type in Corten Parts Podcast, you will find it and request entry, and we will grant you that access. In there, you can... Uh, interact with other listeners of some of the other shows and and as well as uh, the host of those other shows. And if anybody is interested, I did cover the movie Hook with my guest Alicia Johnson. Uh, that was episode 76, so quite a quite a bit ago. And if you like the show, please uh, hit that subscribe button on the podcasting app of your choice and consider leaving an iTunes review. Uh, that will really help out the visibility of the show and that will do it for this episode. So thank you all for listening and until the next time, bang a rang.
Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.